I feel like Biden is just like a stepdad. Like he can't win my love unless he like pays off my student loan debt, you know? (laughs) Oh, hey, what's going on, good people of the ether? Welcome to the Bituation Room podcast live stream. I'm your host, Francesca Fiorentini, um, whose mind is currently stuck in the Suez Canal somewhere. They're trying to dredge me up. My brain is clogged. My career stuck. My life is that cargo ship. I hope there are no live animals on that ship or humans. We've all seen the wire. Shit is real. I do not trust cargo ships ever again. What's going on? We have such a good show for you this hour. Thank you so much for being here. If you're here on YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe right now. If you're on Twitch, what's up? Uh, I hope you follow this channel. I hope you subscribe. That means the world. You can easily do that. Uh, If you have an Amazon Prime account, which like I don't encourage, but like I do encourage if you do have one, you've already paid the money that you just subscribe right now and give us some of his money, you know, because he doesn't need it. We're going to be talking about Amazon a little bit later on in the show. We have such a good show. Comedian Jackie Cation is here. Uh, Filmmaker Simone Baptiste is here, a good friend of mine. We're going to talk about her short film that took a comedic look at reparations. Yes, it's possible. And then opened the door to some really serious and important conversations that I'm so excited to begin to dig into today. Um, Also, milestone for this show we reached 20,000 subscribers, you guys, on YouTube. And uh, put up that banner, Becca. You guys earn this. If, if you're listening as a podcast, it's like imagine the dopest fucking graphics of your life, bro. It's like 3D. It swivels. Don't, shh, don't tell them. But it's very adorable. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you to everyone who's made this show possible and happen, um, including the patrons of the show, which by the way, by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash bituation room, you get access to early episodes. And last week, if you didn't hear, we had an entire episode dedicated to New York politics um, with Raphael Shimanov. It was so good. Matt Lieb was on. It was hilarious. We sang Alicia Keys. We figured it out. Um, It, it was good. It was insane. There's also some Yang Gang folks in the comments. So get on over there and we'll talk to them. You know, start a pen pal relationship with a Yang Ganger or don't just say you will like I did after Trump won. I was like when Trump won, I was like, I'm going to start a pen pal ship with a MAGA person. <laughs> and, then, and then someone reached out to me and I was like, I can't. Ugh, I can't. I don't care about you or your worldview. I'm sorry. I try, but I don't. Um, anyway, uh, thank you to everyone who's become a patron. Um, once again, we have an, a ceremonial bienvenidos uh, to being a patron for anyone who's so generous as to give $10 or more. Uh, and also for the big tippers out there uh, who've donated at TBR-Live, TBR-Live on, on Cash App, TBR-Live on Venmo. Uh, and for the Twitch subscribers, this is Lay Fart Song. 
Get it, 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 get it. Thank you to Jackson T, Sophia R, Kyle A, Lorraine L, Bonnie V, Johan H, Darren F, Rachel K, Tippers Anna Marie, George H, George B, Twitch and Prime subscribers and gift subs, regular Molder Dragon, uh, AZT Lanyon. House be such, science train, Mr. Frosty, Vengeful 1977, Ladybug Dragon, Captain Cornball, Meat Spin 360, EODCLXVI, Snappy Tam, November Flush. Thank you guys so much for being here and for donating to the show and for supporting in all the ways you can. I have extra song, so I'm just going to dance it out. Thank you. Um, and for those of you who are low on cash, I get it. I'm not, I understand your five-star ratings on, on, uh, iTunes are as good as money here. Okay. In this house, in this house, we believe five-star ratings are money. Also that science is real, which is somehow a thing we have to talk about in the year 2021. Um, all right, let's get into it, you guys. What are you bitching about on this beautiful spring day? There's got to be something terrible in the world. Oh, wait, a fuck ton of things. Uh, I'll kick it off with what I'm bitching about. So this was a week where um, Megan McCain uh, had a reaction to a couple of senators, I believe uh, Tammy Duckworth and maybe Maisie Hirono, who... Um, you know, wanted to ensure that there was more diversity in the Biden administration uh, with her very righteous diatribe about identity politics and how identity politics is just like, it's like they don't even look at your resume anymore. They just want to know who you are and like where you come from and like who your dad is or Megan McCain painted herself into the most predictable fucking corner by talking about identity politics and getting mad um that i guess apparently you know just people of color get a shoe in that's what i always say looking at the long history of the united states mm, feel like native americans african americans just too much too much privilege if there's uh have i mentioned i don't read um so now, granted, Megan McCain, I'm hitting the mic, I'm so excited, uh, is the daughter of John McCain, okay? That's the whole fucking reason she got her position in the first place. Um, and look, I get it. Like, when a pig is in shit, you can't smell the shit. That's just life, you know? Like, what? I don't want to say that that's what white privilege is, but it's pretty close. <laughs> you don't smell it. You don't see it. Um... And a lot of people, obviously, like like Barbara Smith, who we've had on this show, who helped coin the phrase identity politics as sort of a third wave black feminist movement in the 70s, you know, had a good response to her on on Twitter. But to me, it was also obnoxious for another reason, which is that for someone who's also trying to stake a career in journalism like myself or, you know, what I think is journalism, just being a correspondent, just being out there. Right. Um, just being out there. Journalism just being out there. Uh, anyway, there is so much undeserved um, slots given to people like Meghan McCain, i.e. daughters and sons of politicians, of wealthy people. It happens all the fucking time. 
a former co-host of hers, Abby Huntsman, who like since left The View because it was too toxic or whatever. It's like, all right, good riddance. Abby Huntsman is this, the daughter of John Huntsman, who's a, you know, a Republican politician, right? You got Jenna and Hoder, Hoder or Hoder, 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 Hoder. I don't know her name. I call her Hodor. And that is not fucked up. Jenna and Hoder, Hoda on NBC. Jenna is Jenna Bush. How the fuck? There's one Bush who's crushing it in the year 2021. You got Jenna Bush. You've got Alicia Menendez. I like Alicia. She's the daughter of a Senator Bob Menendez. She's on MSNBC. Katie Turr is the daughter of a very famous reporter. Paula Ramos, who I also like, Paula Ramos, is the daughter of Jorge Ramos. And Anderson Cooper is a fucking Vanderbilt, y'all. Do you guys know that at all? The heir to the Vanderbilt, I don't know, what are they... Do they own sugar? I'm not sure what they do. Let me know. The point is, is that the entire media field is rife with legacy and rich and, and like nepotistic uh, connections that little on me, you know, the Fiorentini family ain't big up in the, up in the CNN office. I wish, but I'm not. And it's frustrating that someone like Megan McCain, not only because it's low key racist, but also it's just like, bitch, get out the way then. If you want, then fucking let somebody else have that position. Because there's a lot of us who got a lot of shit to say. And there's better people, better qualified who will stick their foot in their mouth far less times than you will, uh, ready to take that job. Uh, the view, whoopee, holler, girl. Okay, Joy, I like you. Holler. Um, also, I just want to bring up, we can talk very briefly about Meghan McCain, one of the most egregious things that she has about her, which is her hairstyles have been on one, I think is the best way to describe it. Um, very upsetting, guys. Have we, have, we tech, have we checked this out? What the fuck is going on? Like, what is she, is she a backup dancer for Pink? Like, what is happening? This there's like a Sailor Moon thing going on. One of them, she just has a, that's a unicorn. Like she looks like a My Little Pony. Like it's very, like she's, how are you all the Spice Girls at the same time in the year 2021? This one, she's got glitter. She's got glitter in her fucking part. Honey, you're bored. Stop. Just go the way of the Abby Huntsman. <laughs> Oh, Megan McCain, please. Basta. Basta. And with that, oh my God, you guys, uh, fair warning. This show is going to be way more fun than most shows. And I hate when people intro me like that or they're like put a lot of pressure. But I have a feeling this show is going to be fucking fun because I have um, not only two great guests, but two great people, very funny and friends. One who I want to be even more of my friend. But... They're both wonderful and they're like contribute a lot to the LA comedy scene out here and the, and the comedy scene all over the country and the world. I don't know. I got to bring in Jackie Cation and Simone Baptiste. So Jackie is a comedian and podcaster and actor who you've heard on NPR and seen on two dope Queens. Her comedy albums have been number one on Amazon, iTunes and other things. And you can listen to her podcast, the dork forest and the Jackie and Lori show with co-host Lori Kilmartin. Who's been on this show all on your listening dev devices. And also they are streaming live. Please welcome Jackie Cation. Yay. I'm right here. I feel Yay. welcome. 
Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. Um, I want to bring in our, our other guests and then get, get us all together. She is an award-winning filmmaker and stand-up comedy booker in LA. Her short directorial debut, $16,000, most recently screened at the 2021 Slam Dance Film Festival. Please welcome Simone Baptiste. Hey, it's me. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's me. No big deal. <laughs> Do you also feel welcome? I feel very welcome. And I want it like once I heard you say that, I was like, I can't top that. So I just, you know, <laughs> recoiled. But yes, I'm going to have to use that in the future. Well, you guys heard me bitch about Megan McCain. And we have to we start off the show, the bitch room asking you, what are you bitching about now? So, Jackie, what what are you bitching about? I'd like to bitch about how well prepared you were. Uh, I'd like to bitch about how you had the thing, uh, what you were, what, cause the thing is, is the world is on fire, right? We're living in a dumpster fire yes. and we are, it's, it's so much better with Joe Biden than with Captain Knobjob that I can't express to you that it's still not fixed. Like, and I know he's shoveling as fast as he can to get us back to shitty 2016. Right. <laughs> and, uh, but every rock in this country has turned over and worm people roam free. And I'm a middle-aged white lady. And so my job is to confront other middle-aged white people and go, you're a piece of shit. What is happening? <laughs> and, um, I don't know. I I'm swearing obviously. That but, is, uh, <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> and anyway, so what, uh, I don't know, you were talking about a, uh, just sort of cronyism and nepotism. And I found out today that Tom Hanks is a direct descendant of a guy named Thomas Hanks, who came to the United States, uh, who was born in 1625. If you go to Tom Hanks, like his Wikipedia, mm -hmm. his, his father and grandfather are also Wikipedia. And then it becomes this thing called familypedia. And it goes back to 1625 <laughs> to a guy named Thomas Hanks. Here? You're like, Here. Uh, in Gloucestershire, England. Oh. And when they moved to Virginia in six, in, and he died in Gloucestershire, Virginia in 1687 or something like that. So it was the weirdest rabbit hole of, yeah, of course, of course there's nepotism and cronyism and, you know, and it's, I, I just, uh, there's, and then there's, there's so Chet, dude. I mean, don't you feel like Chet Hanks is just sort of like, that is karmic retribution for all of these upstanding Hanks. And then you got just like, hell yeah, I just want to lift weights and like get another <laughs> tattoo and hashtag white boy summer. And, uh, and I'm sure he's going to start doing stand up. I'm sure it's I'm, I, <laughs> at any minute. He's going to be working, you know, TJ Miller can't apologize for not being the, the, the fuckwit that he is, but well, let's book Chet. And, uh, God, Ooh, hey, uh, saying, Jackie, Jackie, sorry, real quick. Um, oh, yeah, we got to bump you. Cause, uh, Chet Hanks, just going to do a quick five. Maybe I didn't know that I had been employed. I mean, there's so many, like they canceled the people who are canceled, who are still working outnumber me. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm, well, that's the thing is nepotism and cronyism within comedy, which, of course, since there is really no HR or any, I mean, we could talk for a whole hour about that. But that is really important what you're saying, which is like, hey, all these dudes who have are disgusting. And every day I wake up and there's a new article about how, oh, this one groomed a 15 year old and that one. Did, and but they uh, do like to ask me what I think about it. I'm just sure. like, could we they ask me what wow. I think about my act? Because <laughs> I've turned down so many uh, interviews are like, 
So what do you think about Jeff Ross? What do you think about PJ yeah. Miller? What do you think about that? And I was like, I don't, I don't think about them. I've met them. Uh, they are distantly polite to me. Is that anything? And uh, <laughs> what, I, I, feel mean, like, I feel like Alice Wetterlin had been begging for people to listen to her <laughs> to dish on these polls, but uh, now she's resorted to just tweeting like, I told you so, which is great. I think, I think that is succinct enough. Alice uh, is another comic who, who is also in the film, uh, Simone's film that we're going to talk about. Oh, that's great. I want to hear about the film. What is, yeah. I, yeah. I'm in a part of show business that doesn't know anything except for what's in my notebook. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, okay. no, we're, we're going to get all into it. Um, I want to kick it over to Simone, though. Simone, what are you bitching about this Sunday evening? When I tell you, it took me no time to come up with this. Like, I'm serious. Um, I am bitching about the new Amazon series, Them, from Lena Waithe which is a direct ripoff of us um, from Jordan Peele. Really? And, and uh, it's, you know, like, called them. it's called them. It's the same thing. It is the same thing. Pretty is much. It it's not like a produced cross. by him. It's not blessed it's a, by him. No, it's just Lena Waithe, you know, ripping off black people again. She, that's her thing. So Lena Waithe is just one of those people that uh, once she got a shot, decided to just take everyone else's shots and like to steal other people's stuff. And so this isn't like the first time, but this is like really like on a grand scale where I'm like, you're begging to be sued at this point. But uh, check out the trailer for them. It's going to look very familiar to you. So <laughs> Lena, Lena Waith, right. She, uh, Okay, but like, yeah, that's crazy. So it's just like them and there's what people like everyone has a mirror person, someone it's, who's exactly like them. It's basically a cross between Get Out and Us and they have one of the same actors from Us too. So it's just like very jarring, but um, it's about gentrification. So great. But, but outside of that, um, it feels very much like a ripoff. And uh, she got in trouble like a year ago for doing the same thing to like a small web series. Um, it was called like The Girl's Room or something like that. It was like a high school thing. Got in trouble for that, continued on ripping people off. You know, that's her Still game. getting work. Still yeah. getting work. <laughs> yeah. Still being funded by something. <laughs> that's that's what, that sucks. And and I, I'm excited to talk about your film, Simone, because as someone who's also like doing good work and producing stuff and, you know, writing and, um, there's there's many other black directors, writers, producers who should be lifted up and not they don't who don't bite off other folks. <laughs> um, they just write something. Jesus, I mean, it's not like it, everything you know everything is vaguely derivative, but make it if you make it super personal, then yeah. you've made it your own. If you've made it someone else's, it's still it's still theirs. It turns yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. I got to watch this them. No, no, it better do it. <laughs> Boycott them. Boy, boycotting them. Love us, hate them. Not them. Not them, us. You just right. wonder how this stuff gets through, right? It's just incredible. We got to move on. We have to get into the week. We talk about the week. There's a lot of things happen this week, y'all. We're going to get into my favorite three stories. Uh, this is the week where... So this was the week where 
there was a mass shooting in Boulder, Colorado that would have been prevented had gun reform not been struck down 10 days earlier because he did buy the gun six days earlier. A uh, massive ship once again stuck in the Suez Canal that's stopping global trade like an anti- Antifa super, super soldier. Um, police brutalizing protesters and homeless people in uh, Echo Park, Los Angeles. And of course, Biden had his first press conference and he's working on all the things, Jackie. He's really trying um, but I want to talk about three particular things, specifically uh, the first story, which is um, this was the week where Georgia Republicans decided to punish its own residents for voting Democrat by passing a sweeping set of new voter restrictions um, that criminalize war- line warming, which means giving water or food to anyone waiting in line to vote, requires a state ID to send a mail-in ballot, um, ends portable polling sites. And I wouldn't be surprised if there was now just a skin tone swath at the entry of each polling place. Like you compare, you know, like must be this white to ride type thing. Um, also the laws strip the secretary of state from being the one to oversee the election board, uh, instead letting the legislature appoint a board that will have control over voting. So remember this past election, Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger refused to, like, help Trump find 11,780 votes just somewhere. Like, oh, yeah, I didn't check the shed. Uh, he, like, anyway, so he was, like, lauded as a hero. Well, this new rule takes away that power to oversee the electoral uh, elections from the Secretary of State and moves it into the legislature. And mind you, also... The current governor was the former secretary of state who made sure that people were turned away from the polls in 2018 when Stacey Abrams was running running for governorship as he was against her. Um, So just setting him up and knocking him down in terms of corruption here. Like he, Brian Kemp is a fucking bitch. Let's just be honest. He's a bitch. He's the Lance Armstrong of Georgia democracy. Like Republicans in Georgia are the Felicity Huffman and William H. Macy of like the college admissions process. You know what I'm saying? Like, like their kid already could get into the college they want with all the wealth and the privilege, you know, they could have gotten an Ivy league school, but no, they had to cheat on top of the cheating. And the only difference is that I don't think Republicans in Georgia are going to see jail time. That's the only difference between those two. Um, last thing I'll say, The House passed a voter protection laws called H1, which has now been kicked to the Senate called S1, which will most likely never get the votes it needs to pass, which would help undo these Georgia laws because the filibuster needs to be abolished, which has traditionally been used to stop voting rights and civil rights. Basically, America is trapped in like a voter suppression escape room and like time is running out. and We're like, I don't know. We can't. uh." Time Time isn't running out. I mean, civilization is inexorable, and but it is <laughs> tiny. And I do want to. I've I've purchased some stock in guillotines. Uh, hmm. <laughs> but uh, Stacey Abrams won first of all, and uh, and it's it's egregious. It's it's obscene, and it literally feels like baiting. It feels like a way to bait people into rioting so that they can bring in the National Guard and actually murder people. Yeah. Right? That's what it feels like to me. But 
I know I mean, that's the, hilarious. We, 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 we're so ironic with the guillotine thing, but you're like, okay, so you don't want us to peacefully voice our dissent through the ballot box. Mm-hmm. That's exactly so. what it feels like. Yeah. I mean, I think we could see this coming. Republicans only act when there's like a threat to, you know, them winning. And of course, what we saw happen in Atlanta and Philadelphia uh, it just scares people or scares some people, I guess, into thinking that we might actually have a more equitable future, but you know, to each his own. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. All, all, I think all we can do is fight it. It's, I mean, the thing is, is it's so, it's so obviously horrible that I hope, I mean, and, and we, the Supreme court is stacked, so there's trouble, but the thing is, is at some point you play whack-a-mole with these people and you have to figure out like how to get a you know how to get a bunch of them down at once so that you can move a half a step forward yeah so that people can be treated as adult humans yeah it's it's incredible how we have to like game out democracy but i think it's just so bald faced like republicans are never called on just openly being against democracy. And I think me coming up in a time when it was like Iraq war and, you know, fucking global capitalism running amok throughout the world. I was like, and, and the U S spreading democracy. I was like, Oh, I hate American. American democracy is bad. Like we shouldn't spread. And I think now, you know, however many years later, we're in this moment where we're like, damn, actually we need to protect this. We need to make it better. And we can't leave it to the beltway wonks and the Harvard boys anymore. Um, because they've been, they like both establishment Democrats have, have been fucking up this defense against Republicans because you still have Biden. Biden gave his press conference and he was like, look, my Republican colleagues have to make a decision of whether they want to work with us or whether they don't. It's like, I think, excuse me, sir. I think they've made their decision. Yeah. I don't, I just, just cause I've been watching, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the good thing about the only good thing about Biden is that he knows he's a one-term guy who's got to shovel us out of this bullshit. And, um, but he said otherwise, Jackie, in this, in this presser, he said he might run again at the age of 86. Oh yeah. Uh, see what three years of, of, of pressure cooking does to an 83 year old (laughs) guy, you know? And, and then, then we'll, then we'll talk, but yeah, no, I mean, nobody, you know, one of my brothers is a lifelong Republican who has not mm-hmm. voted Republican. He voted for Obama twice. He voted for yeah. Hillary Clinton and he voted for Biden. And I was like, well, you're a terrible Republican. He was like, <laughs> uh, well, it's not like any of those people are really liberal. And I was like, well, they're more liberal than you are. And, uh, and he's like, well, there's that. And, uh, but he knows he, you know, the ideals of the ideals that we all want, that we all believe in or what we're all striving for. It's just that we've just had the curtain ripped away the last 16 years showing oh, yeah. us that it's all puppets and it's all assholes. And we, we have to, we have puppets with large assholes. Yeah. It's very weird. Yeah. I feel like Biden is just like a stepdad. Like he can't win my love unless he like pays off my student loan debt, you know, <laughs> Uh, I want my real dad back, 
Bernie, but I have to settle for this dude who mom decided to sleep with for a little bit. But it's just, <laughs> you know, it's I'm just waiting for him to do something, you know, without just like rolling it back every time. And, you know, it just feels like he he's going to get away with just doing nothing at the end of the day because he can't actually make a firm decision on anything. He likes to say things, but I want to see something happen at least. Yeah, I mean, I do think he touted the $1.9 trillion stimulus, and I think that's a huge step in the right direction. And actually, I mean, this is for another discussion. I do wonder, and I've said this before, if under Bernie we would have been able to pass that because of how much, you know, red baiting there is about, you know, him being a democratic socialist. Um, but at the same time, if you don't reform the filibuster and or abolish it, you're getting nothing done, and Georgia will never go blue again. You'll, you will, we, I mean, this is the thing you just, you outsource all of this work to all of the organizations that have to come out and like letter. I bet like postcards are going to be illegal. Like, nope, mm -mm, can't write a postcard in Georgia. You know, like what is next? And it's so frustrating that, that, yeah, that we don't have a, an offensive and like a plan and the filibuster is the way through. So I, he was soft on that in the presser again. And I think he needs to mu go much, much, much harder on it. <laughs> I, I should have pulled the clip, but he, he said some, it's like, well, you know, if you want to abolish a filibuster, you got to abolish the filibuster. And it's like, yeah, isn't that incredible? We're in this, we're in a prison of Republicans making. Um, but he needs to, anyway, he needs to get behind it. Um, shout out to everyone who, who worked on the ground in Georgia to make sure that that election flipped and oof, we have to redouble our efforts. We'll see. Um, we'll see how it continues, but I want to move on. This was also the week where 6,000 Amazon workers at a warehouse in Bessemer, Alabama, continued their union drive, which ends now-ish. Uh, the campaign is the largest union push at Amazon in the country, and if the workers win, they'll be the largest number of workers to certify a union in a single NLRB election in three decades. Amazon, clearly very scared, decided that its union busting drive needed a little social media boost. So they stepped back or they stepped up their like shit posting game and they started trolling senators and representatives all through the week. Uh, and they also came for the king or as uh, Simone said, our real dad, uh, Bernie Sanders, who visited Alabama this week to speak with workers and safe to say they missed when they tried to fire the shot. Um, first, I want to bring up this tweet. C David, Dave Clark, CEO said this. Uh, we welcome Senator Sanders to Birmingham and appreciate his push for a progressive workplace. I often say we are the Bernie Sanders of employers, but that's not quite right because we actually deliver a progressive workplace. <gasps> the shade. <laughs> wow. Wow. Uh, you uh, What? Okay, so... Th this is they're this talking is, about free soda. That's all they think that that's socialism is to have there be free <laughs> soda in the fridge, or maybe you know they're getting like a gym membership because it takes like a mile to get off the campus or something yeah, exactly. like that. You know, <laughs> absolutely. Like we're uh, we're doing what uh, we're basically repeating what the Khmer Rouge did in Cambodia, just faster. You know, he was a Stalinist. Uh, anyway, um, this is. This is his follow-up tweet. Dave Clark, CEO of Amazon, right? Not, not, he's sort I of went the to fed. that museum, by the way, the Khmer, the, in Cambodia. Did you? Uh, yes. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it was uh, a little heavy. Anyway, but go ahead. 
No, dude, shit is shit is real heavy. Uh, I mean, yes, there's there's oh, what's that really good film? I'm not thinking of that details it. Anyway, so the ki Killing Field. That's what I thought. Yeah, that, there's another, but yeah, Killing Field is oh so good. Um, you know, sometimes Marxism is bad, y'all. Just gonna put that out there. Okay, so Dave followed up with this brilliant, oh, dunking tweet. We're the Bernie Sanders, except we actually deliver by saying, all we want to know is why the senator is one of the most powerful politi po politicians politicians in Vermont for 30 plus years, and the minimum wage is still only $11.75. Amazon's minimum wage is $15, <laughs> and he great health care from day one. The senator should save his finger-wagging lecture until he actually delivers on his own backyard. Um, this is after Bernie Sanders said he was looking forward to meeting with Georgia workers or excuse me, Alabama workers and basically calling out Jeff Bezos and Amazon for their union busting. Y'all, the reason that Amazon workers have $15 minimum wage is because Bernie Sanders made it like his life goal a couple years ago, mm -hmm. picking up the mantle of so many organizations and workers who had already been calling for it. And like every chance he get, it was like, Bernie, do you have something to say that isn't about Bezos giving Amazon workers $15? <laughs> Didn't he like, like introduce no. the Bezos Act, like specifically like with his name in the title? I think yes. that was like enough to like embarrass I, people, I guess. I and do then, have a question yeah. though, is why isn't it $15 an hour in Vermont? I've been so, to Vermont. They yeah. can use 50. I, I, I don't know if you guys know about the gentrification there, but there's a lot of expensive coffee uh, being consumed and uh, people could use 15 bucks an hour there too. Absolutely. And the other thing is, I mean, the one thing to note is that senators sadly don't have pull in their, I mean, they have pull, but they're not able to overcome, you know, a Republican governor who vetoed last year a raise to the minimum wage that was going to be 1250 or something like this down from 15 because there was a big negotiation within that state legislature. And so obviously Bernie as a senator from Vermont you know, cannot override that or anything. That's the governor's call, and the governor has to, happens to be a Republican. So already, he, just sort of I, his I lines are crossed. Would have, I, would, I do, and this is not to to complain about Bernie Sanders is great, but I mean, if he could have done that stomping ground too as well in Vermont, Vermont's not that big. It might have taken him a week to cross it, and uh, <laughs> you know, he he, he could have named it uh, shitty governor of Vermont name. Uh, you know, and just gone. Yeah. Yeah. Hey. Uh, yeah. So I would just say, and I'm sure Bernie listens to this. Uh, I'm just saying you, you're, you're doing great, Bernie. Uh, if you could also uh, act locally and think globally. Yeah. Just <laughs> promise everyone like a free pint of Ben and Jerry's and, you know, sure. make it happen. That's all we're asking. That's about one. <laughs> that's about $15 right there. Uh, a pint of Ben and Jerry's. No, but you know, it's, it is a good point. It's just that I think that these are all arrows that are just missing him because, again, he was behind the push for Amazon to even raise their wage to $15 an hour, in part because they're afraid that their workers are going to unionize well, like the workers that are pitching like a couple of 13 year olds. You're just like, <laughs> would you please govern? Would you please go to work? Would you please have a job? You know, it's all this PR push that you're just like, that's not your. I mean, I get it. That's the job now is to just spin it so that everybody is so that we're talking about them instead of people actually getting the thing that they should get. But I was like, yeah. 
It's well, so it's so bitchy, man. You're just like, mm-hmm. well, it continues. The, the bitchiness continues because later they didn't just come for Sanders. They came for Elizabeth Warren. This is from another Bezos ninja on, on Twitter. Amazon News, which I had never heard of, oh, uh, Jesus. Go- going after Elizabeth Warren, saying this is, mind you, in response, Warren tweets out a video where she says, I want to change the corporate tax structure and loopholes uh, and close them so that corporations can stop avoiding tax pay- payments. Yeah, that's been her horse. That's her hobby horse. It's great. Absolutely. And Amazon says, uh, you make the tax laws, Senator Warren. We just follow them. If you don't like the tax laws you've created, by all means, change them. Here are the facts. Amazon paid billions of dollars in corporate taxes over the past few years alone. Oh, my God. Billions out of your hundreds and hundreds, out of your trillion, trillions. Bezos is a trillionaire now. Guys, this is in response to a straight-up video where she said she was going to change the tax laws. And Elizabeth Warren writes, I didn't write the loopholes you exploit, Amazon. Your armies of lawyers and lobbyists do. But you bet. I'll fight to make you pay your fair share and fight your union busting. I got to do a warn and fight to break up big tech. So you're not powerful enough to heckle senators with snotty tweets. That's right. <laughs> and, and, and snotty. And I love, I love the Warren's use of snotty. Yeah. They're just trolling one final one for you. One final one. Cause it gets to the heart of what some of the workers are actually asking for, which is to be treated with respect in response to representative Mark Pocan, um, who, who mentions the fact that paying workers $15 an hour doesn't make you a progressive workplace. This is in response to the Bernie tweet. Um, when you union bust and make workers urinate in water bottles and Amazon news says, you don't really believe the peeing in bottles thing, do you? If that were true, nobody would work for us. The truth is, is that we have over a million incredible employees around the world who are proud of what they do and have great w- wages and health care from day one. Like, the cattiest shit. Like, yeah. who is writing this? Like, a 13-year-old <laughs> who's just like, you don't even go here, Mark. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and because of that tweet, that's the reason why I had to see a bottle full of pee circling around Twitter for, like, a full entire day. So, thank you, Amazon, for that. I didn't yeah. know that I needed to see that. But also... It's just like disturbing because we already know about all these stories. They're not like hearsay or anything else. It's just funny that they feel like they're able to, you know, just deny, deny, deny. But yeah, yeah. it's crazy. Um, yes. Just to follow up on that. Um, it is false. Their claims that it was like, you don't believe the peeing in bottles thing, which immediately is like, you don't believe our workers, do you? Um, our workers are great but don't believe them. They're also liars. Um, Amazon has documents that show that actually that there have been bottles of urine and feces inside their trucks uh, from drivers. And so they have that well documented. And honestly, that's what I call poo day delivery. You know what I'm saying? Poo day delivery. Can I okay. storm out? Should I storm out now? Or? You should. You storm- <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's what Kill Martin would do. She would storm out. <laughs> Kill Martin sat there and was very pleasant with all of my bad puns. <laughs> it was it was good. I don't believe you. I'm gonna trick with her in two hours on the Jack and Lori show. <laughs> hey, yes, watch that after this. Yeah, no, so it's it's very sad. Like I feel like this desperate move to move to Twitter is is just that. It's just a desperate move, right? Like 
don't they have giant PR machines? They've got giant union busting efforts in Alabama. Why take to Twitter and make your just get ratioed by everyone watching? Because everyone they can looking. afford. Because they can afford it. And and if they, it's it's sort of like all this parlor and the own, you know, it's the if you say the lie often enough, people will believe it. And they, I don't know. Totally. I just, I, yeah. No. It's yeah. Dumb. It, uh, they they and and you look and here's the reality is that this this will be out. And the, we might know the vote this week. And there's a likelihood, you know, there's 6,000 workers. They haven't had a long union union drive. So it might be hard to get um, the number that they need to actually form a union. But it for sure is the beginning of of a, of a lot. And I think it'll be interesting um, how this continues. And, how, and if they, God, if they do manage to get this union, and we've talked about this on the show before, it would be historic and, cha- and change the game. Um, going forward. So hats off to everyone down there in Bessemer and, and anyone who's working these delivery jobs, like you realize you're delivering people's like bullshit. Like you, you realize that, right? You're, you're delivering like my like lash extension shit that like, like serum. That's the only thing I buy on Amazon. It's like, it's like good there. Anyway, that's the only, I swear to God, it's the only thing. I'm I just ordered not. three bras. Uh, I would love <laughs> to stay away from Amazon. It turns out uh, we're in a pandemic. And it, of course, and they make it the easiest fucking thing in the world. Yeah. You know? Very upsetting. Upsettingly easy. Because someone is docked pay if they don't deliver all their packages. I, I like, motherfucker, invent the robots then. If you want robots, if, if you need them to be like robots, hire robots. Don't hire humans because humans have to pee and poo not in their trucks. Um, yeah, this brings me back to business school. <laughs> it's just like MSOM, like trying to figure out how to just like make people machines and not giving a shit about anyone, you know? It's just, yeah, this is how people are taught. And that's kind of why they bring it with, with them to the workplace and they bring it with them to just, you know, that's just you- how it is, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. In business school, did you study something? My brother's an econ professor, uh, and he was telling me that this is my brother, the Republican. Uh, he said he was trying to talk to these people about they want to build affordable housing in rural Wisconsin. And uh, he, was mm-hmm. at the com- he was at the commission meeting or whatever, and he said there's an economic term called Alice's Threshold. Have you heard about that? It's you know, no. I feel like I I really sucked at econ, so that's like the wrong subject to ask me about. But yeah, that sounds sounds great already. They, so please let oh, us know it's, what it's, about. it's well. There's I, he said it's not poverty level; it's a step above poverty level. And I said, well, how is it defined? Oh, and he God. said, oh yeah, he said it just means that once a month, uh, the family has to sort of live out of the pantry. They can't buy groceries; they have to pay rent. And I said, that's poverty. That's that's mm-hmm. poverty. What do you what do you and he goes Alice's threshold. It. It's called wow. Alice's threshold and and <gasps> whoever named it uh is a a, a freaking Nazi genius and should Jeez. be put down like a rabbit animal. Hi, two things now. The guillotine <laughs> and now putting people down like rabbit animals. Yeah. Well, we <laughs> had all of one uh ethics course and so that was that was it that was supposed to like hold you over uh for the rest of your life apparently (laughs) i i was i spent my college years arguing with business school people 
over like the war over like all kinds of shit and just like well who's taught you and then you realize oh, oh yeah oh, it. it's all it. like ex wall street people like and you know i knew that i was like very self-aware because i knew i was going to be doing film and i dropped out of film to go over to the business school just to get like a business background because that's what everyone told me and it's just so bizarre how everything was just you know commodified everything was exploitative and you had people drinking the Kool-Aid for sure. And that's Fuck kind of yeah. like, I'm not surprised like now being you know out of school and everything, just because I learned it all. And like, I, I took derivatives. It's like, yeah, you can make money out of thin air, but- Alice's threshold. <laughs> yeah. My mom's name is Alice and her threshold is me only calling her once a week. That's not, <laughs> she will not stand for that. <laughs> it's gotta be more, it's gotta be at least like three times. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I want to move on to our final story. Oh, we've really, this is all oh, time has flown. Um, this was the week where insurrectionist and part-time realtor Jenna Ryan of Texas, who took a private jet to the stop the steal rally slash coup on January 6th and live streamed herself storming the Capitol that day. She took to Twitter to continue to flaunt her white privilege and victimhood complex at the same time. This is pretty mind blowing. And I want you to get a load of this. So she starts by saying on Twitter, FYI, there's a good old boys club in the conservative alt news. They don't like strong women unless super gorgeous or in dire straits like Alice and her threshold. A strong, independent woman with intelligence is not welcome in alt media today. MSM, mainstream media, is more open to me than so-called patriot media outlets. And then I should be supported by alt-right media outlets. However, I'm being left to the vultures of the left. It's pretty sad that InfoWars or Gateway Pundit has totally avoided my story while every mainstream outlet on the planet is asking for a statement. Quite obvious glass ceiling. Oh, honey, I hope you break that glass ceiling and all those shards just fall all over your... Oh, man. I didn't know people were trying to get on InfoWars. <laughs> right? <laughs> Uh, three points. <laughs> like, like she is. She also. It's like so sad because she's basically saying that like CNN, ABC, you know, MSNBC, NBC, whoever, they're all hitting her up for interviews. Clearly, which is so sad. Also, that we're interviewing this woman. Um, the best part of this whole exchange is also, first of all, oh, is someone surprised that like. Infowars is sexist. Like, oh my god, you! Oh, how dare yeah, she's you? She's hanging out with dirtbags and saying, "Oh my god, I'm surrounded by dirtbags." Yes. And you're like, "Yeah, yeah, I don't know." It'd be like, "Yeah, it doesn't make." Okay, so I have to. Can I say that yeah. I, uh, right before we came on, Guy Branham. You know Guy Branham? Yeah. Uh, he tweeted this: "Acknowledging a privilege isn't the same as interrogating it, which isn't the same as working to dismantle it." Mm, that's good. And it's and he's like, uh, I, I'm also working, but working on all of that. He's like, don't you know, don't say I'm not saying that I'm I'm doing it right either. But we're all you know, he's working on it. And we're it's that woman is such a hunk of junk of human being. I can't even. Yeah, I, can't I don't even, think it's safe to say that Jenna's working on it because here how so she uh, someone tweeted at her that she was going to jail. Then she responded with this. Um, 
Definitely not going to jail. Sorry, I have blonde hair, white skin, a great job, and a great future, and I'm not going to jail. Sorry to rain on your hater parade. I did nothing wrong. Wow. Yeah. I feel I like nothing. she's right, though. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I just feel like she's right, you know. She could be right. I mean, it could play out like that, but the thing is, is... It's so, again, it's so like, oh, I am a Nazi white supremacist and look at me, look at how great it is. Mm -hmm. And I just, I need, I don't know, I need that to be against the law. <laughs> I, well, I, need, I need that. I think that's the thing is like, I mean, she is right. Like, Simone's right. She's right. These racists are right. And it, what I think Trump did to our brain and to white people especially is he made them self-aware. Like, these are all self-aware racists. These are all people who, like, talk to white police officers using, like, we form and, like, sell their white tears on eBay. You know, like, they know their privilege. They love their privilege. But if anyone says anything, they're their victim. We don't have anything. We don't put me on, put me on gateway net or whatever the fuck it is. <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, it's like, it's like, that is so interesting. Um, uh, yeah. Like he's made, like Trump did that number on, on white people to be like, no, no, no. Be proud of your racism. Flaunt be that. Be proud shit. of your stupid. Be proud of your racism. Be proud of your hate. Be proud of your ineptitude. Be proud of, you know, of all of the things. I mean, I know what he's saying is that uh, he's, I mean, he doesn't know that. I mean, he's selling this sort of, you know, you should be happy in yourself, yeah. but he's, he's the celebration of the least positive qualities of humanity. Yes. Yeah. The id. Embrace your id. Embrace the like. And it, it's so weird because, I mean, I don't particularly like people who are like, always beat yourself up. Always, you know, you're a piece of shit. You uh, use your white guilt to beat yourself up a lot. Sure, and sure. That doesn't make any sense to me either. But there's a, there's a sanity in the middle, a little bit of peace of mind with humility where you know what you're capable of and how you can help those around you. And what you have and how you can share that. And and that's yeah. what everybody should be teaching everybody else. I don't under... It's amazing to me. Like, do you think in the future they're just, like, in kids, in, in classrooms now, are they just showing the storming of the Capitol to explain, like, structural racism and white supremacy and, like, I feel white like privilege? I would be shocked if they did, but I feel like that'd be a good step in the right direction. It's just like, oh yeah, here one summer, here we got BLM, <laughs> brutalized, 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 capital rights, and then we're done. Class dismissed. Y'all can go play. Um, I you do know the weird thing. Yeah. Yes. Oh, oh no, I was just I gonna say the weird thing about about um, socialism is that we're all taught when we're children to share. We're all taught to be kind, and then when we're about fourteen or fifteen, they're like. Oh, but you should sell more Girl Scout cookies than anybody else. And that bitch is the, <laughs> and that guy is, and you should somehow, if he leaves his change sitting around, you should pick it up. And it's just this weird switch into yeah. hardcore, like weird capitalism that, it, totally. you know, there's, there's, there's parts of capitalism where you're like, use all the tools in front of you and that's good. And then there's parts of capitalism where that it all goes too far. It's like Marxism. It's like social, you know, it's like, it's all the isms 
Americanism mm. and idealism leading to naivete, whatever. Something yeah. in the middle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something like Joe Biden. <laughs> I'm we we have to move on. Obviously, I'm being facetious. Uh, we got to move on. We got to talk about, we may go long on this episode, and I apologize, uh, slash you're welcome. But I want to talk about um, reparations. Speaking of accountability, speaking of white privilege, speaking of, uh, you know, historic wrongs that we still are manifested today and impact us every single day, this is The Sitch. And of course, with us is Simone Baptiste, who directed a film uh, all about reparations, a short film that has re received a number of awards. Um, I realize I haven't gone to uh, the comments yet, and I will get to them. Um, so it's been in, Simone, I just have to shout it out. Uh, Programmer's Best Narrative Short, Pan-African Film Festival, uh, Best Comedy Short, um, the Queen's World Film Festival, Best Comedy Short, Official Selection Atlanta Film Festival. It's making the rounds in this virtual moment. It's so good. And I want to play first a clip and then talk to you about it. But Simone, do you want to do you want to prep this clip at all before sure, we Sure, before the internet eats me. So basically, this is a film about the worst case scenario for reparations and came about because of all of the discourse through the, throughout the 2020 primary race. People talking about reparations, not including Black people in their conversations, so on and so forth. Um, and so myself, Brody Reed, and Ellington Wells came together. We're a creative team. They co-starred and co-wrote the film. And we just kind of wanted to make something absurd. And so this is uh, where we came at the subject. And we included a numerous amount of people in the comedy space that um, really, really I love and enjoy their work. So check them out if you can. And uh, BT Dubs, I am also in the film at the very, very, very beginning, uh, being the sort of snarky um, reporter, anchor, who announces that, yes, reparations have indeed happened, and this is a world in which they have happened. So check it. Check it out. Ugh. Good stuff, James. Thank you for coming in. Do you want to just sock it to me? Um, obviously we're all equal now in society though, so we're not really looking for diversity hires anymore. You're black, right? I'm sorry. I can't quite tell. The fuck? Yeah, sorry. What's Thanks wrong with in. you? See, some Caucasians have been holding these feelings in for a long time, and now post reparations, they've started running their mouths, but there's a solution. Picket Fences, the latest app in navigating the black experience. Simply pull up a white person's profile and give them a five-star rating from cool to honky. I'm one of the good ones. Not anymore, you're not. Thanks, Picket Fences. <laughs> Where can I see this? Where? Well, you see, Alice, like, Alice really nailed her role, but there's so many lines that we couldn't even put in the film, but like, I, I was just dying on set, I think, the whole time, which is a good sign. Um, but yes, uh, we're actually done with our festival route, but Jackie, I'll send you a link if you want to check it yes. out afterwards. Thank you. Uh oh, we got to get that Magic Simone link. Um, yeah, so I wanted, like, it's so funny, and that is obviously like a worst case scenario going in for a hire and having someone say, well, post reparations, like, you know, yeah. all I see you as is diversity. 
it's so funny and so real. What, like, why did you want to tackle reparations through comedy? And what has been some of the responses you've gotten? Yeah, and that scene in particular, um, beyond it just being the worst case, we wanted to show how capitalism would manifest in this post-reparations world and how people would still find a way to, you know, have this new tech or, you know, find ways to profit off of the moment. And so uh, the reason why we wanted to tackle it through comedy is because it's just very disarming. Um, going into it, we read articles about how 70% of white people disagree that reparations should be paid out. I was like, that's like a Ooh. steep mountain to climb. <laughs> and so, yes. uh, the way that we figured would be best uh, would be to do it through comedy. And comedy a lot of times comes from a place of pain or truth or you know whatever it may be. But I think that it just connects with people on a deeper level sometimes and it allows them to think about things in a new way. So that was kind yeah. of the, the thought process. Have you ever had like a crazy white dude like freak out on you after one of the screenings? I know you do sometimes some talk back and you've used it as like a, a, a political tool as well. Um, yeah, just what have been some of those responses to it? Yeah, I mean, no freaking out, which is good. Maybe people are too embarrassed because of the moment we're in, like they're just gonna be nice. But I think that overall, I feel like we inoculated ourselves throughout the whole film uh, to show that we were in on the joke, but also that we came from a socialist perspective. Um, the only weird, absurd questions I get are like very sci-fi. Like, what if money didn't exist? And then would we really need preparations? <laughs> and like, you know, people try to find a way to just <laughs> to just find a way to like avoid reparations and. Uh, you know, if you want to write a sci-fi novel, let me know. Maybe I, I can option it and we can make a film. So <laughs> funny. Like, I love how people have to go to sci-fi to even imagine that it's possible. Because that's, I mean, 70% is a steep climb. Um, right now there's, you know, H.R. 40, which is a bill in the House that would begin an exploratory committee into reparations. Just like, and even that, I remember, caused all these waves and there was all this backlash to that idea of even beginning to talk about it. What do you feel like it will take to get reparations? Um, yeah, and like, what about that steep climb? Yeah, I mean, we have to avoid just talking about reparations in relation to slavery, because there's plenty of other crimes that we can point to as being worthy of reparations. And I think that's kind of the way to go. Um, yeah. Like with the national stage, of course, HR 40 is like a dream, because it's like, you know, it's been around for a while. Like, I think a lot of people also don't know, like it was first introduced in the eighties. It's just picking up traction Jesus again. Uh, so, and it's also a study bill. I think that, you know, the people that are behind it also included some provisions, but it is mostly a study bill. So it's just like, you know, that struggle still exists even to just study reparations. And so that to me just feels like, uh, you know, a long journey, I guess, to go that route. But what I yeah. see is like a quicker way is find out, you know, what are some specific things that we can point at, like redlining, like massacres, like, you know, beyond Tulsa, uh, Rosewood, Florida, a couple of years after Tulsa, um, their descendants, I mean, almost the same story. I don't, uh, people who are watching might not know. There was a film made about it in the 90s, uh, Don Cheadle, John Voight. But anyway, so <laughs> Rosewood, Florida uh, had a similar massacre, um, 
you know, a white woman claimed that she was like beaten up by a black person didn't happen. And of course, the white mob came and they burned down the whole town. So their descendants actually did win reparations uh, back in the 90s. And then we just had a complete dry spell until like recently. And I think that we are seeing people uh, strive for reparations in other places. Uh, mm -hmm. Tulsa has an open lawsuit right now. Um, and then on top of that, uh, you know, Evanston, Illinois. So that's like a big one that just recently happened. And I'm sure we'll get more into that in a second. Oh, yeah, I, I was gonna. Well, mine, why not right now? I was just gonna bring it up that like, they're going at it specifically when it comes to redlining and homeownership. Um, so in Evanston, Illinois, which is 16% black, only 75,000 people, um, decent sized city, I guess town i don't know what it is it's a town um it's part of chicago land it is it is it's yeah so they're they're yeah. basically issuing mortgage assistance to any black residents who are descendants of individuals who lived and this is according to them lived in the city between 1919 and 1969 so pretty recently and suffered discrimination um, based on the color of their skin. Uh, and it's like part of a broader housing package. So like, it's sort of a way to go about it where you're acknowledging past pain and past discrimination and systems, but mm -hmm. then addressing it in a very present day, like, and ergo in housing, this is how we're going to change it. Yeah. I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on, on that strategy? I mean, I love it because I mean, nothing is going to be perfect, but I think that we have to have these things happen in order for it to happen elsewhere. And I think specifically the model of it, having a tax on cannabis is to me like fitting because of how the black community has been over incarcerated because of marijuana. And now you have it being legalized all over the country and no reparations for that even. So to me, it's like Chicago was notorious for redlining as were many other major cities in this country. I'm just thinking like, can we follow that model even here in LA where cannabis is a huge industry? Um, right. and, and I just feel like to me, uh, because it is tied to something so recent, like you just said, like all the way up until like the late sixties, right. it's so much easier to track that. And I think a lot of Republicans like to say, oh, well, slavery was so long ago, I had nothing to do with that. <laughs> and then they get away with just acting as if that doesn't have implications on present day. But redlining is one of the implications <laughs> that came after slavery and it was because of slavery, you know, and all yeah. the systemic racism that existed. Um, so yeah, I, when I talk about reparations, I tell everyone, get creative. What is like, you know, a crime committed against a group of people that you can ask for restitution for? Um, and it doesn't have to be just slavery. Um, I would say a fictionalized, uh, if, if you need to, if you need to have this science fiction for you, uh, please watch Watchmen on HBO. <laughs> That's a good show. I mean, I, I also, uh, it is, <laughs> it is brutal and it is, uh, incredibly well done, but it is, um, but if you if you need your information uh, spoon fed to you with superheroes, please. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Do that. No, I mean, it is really interesting because I think we're also revisiting the reconstruction. And, you know, based on like 
will, you know, uh, Reverend William Barber and the Moral Mondays movement and the pe poor people's campaign and just the ways that like the reconstruction was unfinished, the post-war reconstruction, the plan to actually create um, racial and economic equality was like abandoned because of white terrorism and because of the KKK and because of a lack of commitment from, you know, from from on the federal level too and it's interesting like we were close like there there was a time when it was like that 40 acres and a mule there was a you know general sherman was like here you go like it's gonna happen and then what happened like i'm not sure beyond just what happened to everything which is promises were broken um but it's funny because your title of your film is $16,000. Was that your present day equivalent of what you imagined could be the worth of like 40 acres and a mule? I feel like it might be more than that. <laughs> um, actually, $16,000 is the average black household wealth of today. Um, and so 10 times that is the average white household wealth, of course. And so that was where the number came from. And I'm also sorry to say, like through our research, we did find like one article that like had the number for reparations that low, even though that's not necessarily where we got the number from, but it was yeah. based on uh, like census data and figuring out like what the average household wealth is for a black family in America. And so yeah, reparations is essentially like is supposed to close the racial wealth gap if it is true reparations. Um, and of course, 40 acres and a mule is just something that is like folklore in the black community at this point. It is just like a story that um, that gets passed down from generation to generation uh, and it never happens. But it is very much like that dinner table kind of talk. But of course, when that was promised, you know, after slaves were freed, it was reversed immediately by the next president. So, of course, it didn't happen. Right. And. I mean, now it's interesting to see some of the like, even in the $1.9 trillion, like there's a, a line item, right, that was, you know, actually supporting black farmers um, who've been so disenfranchised in the history of this country since the end of slavery. But it's interesting because it's it's always posed as like, are you for or against? Yes or no. And then the implementation and it's almost like you let the implementation sort of like stop in is in a very bad faith way like stop the whole conversation from moving forward um yeah, yeah i don't know what do you, like what are some of the bad faith and like red herring like ways that people try to say that's nah, it's it'll it's not good it won't happen is it around implementation is it around like who, deciding who gets it i know i think it's usually around like who that. gets it yeah um, <clears throat> excuse me i i think like honestly from a lot of conversations with socialists, they say, well, it's not a universal demand. And so we should not pay attention to it. And I reject that because we can talk about particular demands. And there have been other groups of people that received reparations. So why is it like a full stop when we're talking about black people? Right. And then beyond that, of course, we have people on the right who uh, also or also are nationalists and believe that reparations um, should only go to American descendants of slaves and leaving out like black immigrants, leaving out everyone who was here, you know, during, I don't know, America, no, during the civil rights era and beyond. Um, and it's so funny because uh, this is not just, you know, white people, this is black people as well, who also have a perspective of just not wanting anyone, <clears throat> anyone except for American descendants of slaves to get reparations. And so uh, that is, you know, disturbing, because it is very much like reflective of, like, 
xenophobic language that we hear from uh, Republicans and it isn't something that is wide sweeping and would really uplift the black community. And then a lot of our, of our like civil rights leaders were like half Caribbean and uh, you know, <laughs> like how are you going to divide this up and act as if we well, didn't have, yeah. It's this divide and conquer thing. Yeah. They're, they're, they're just trying to in Milwaukee and I am from a little town outside of Milwaukee. There is um, there's a great book and my, my parents lived through it, obviously, when they split the black community distinctly in half to build the highway. And they did it on purpose because of, because of the civil rights movement and because of, of, you know, people asking for their rights. And um, they just, they decimated the black community for decades. And Mm -hmm. it is, there's, there's got to be lawsuits in Milwaukee that are available that someone should be is either working on because I, I haven't done it. I haven't lived there since I was a kid. But I mean, Milwaukee is one of the most segregated cities in the country. And they and the advantage, the disadvantage and the and the the they literally split the black community physically because they couldn't do it emotionally fast enough. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, uh, I think the other thing is like you, we start to future trip. And so you already have people like carving out fiefdoms, like you're saying, Simone, people who are like, well, they can't go to black immigrants. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's not even, it's HR 40 hasn't even passed. Mm-hmm. You know, it hasn't even passed. And we're already finding ways to demonize one another. I know some of those groups have really shady backing. Um, and like, and, and being xenophobic and anti-immigrant about it, it's like, oh, cool. The last thing we need is for a reparations push to like create a national, an American nationalism (laughs) that has like screwed us for so long already. Yeah. I mean, honestly, there, to be honest, when we talk about even immigrants, they have a claim to reparations as well, based on what happened during the Trump administration um, and beyond. Of course, it's leaking into Biden. But it's, you know, we also don't realize that half of people in ICE detention are Black. And they, of course, are over-policed just like anyone else um, who is yes. Black in this country. So that's why they are overrepresented in ICE detention. And so it's just bonkers to me to you know i always love when people say like you know how would a police like approach an african immigrant versus an african-american is there a different approach you know (laughs) like is can do they stop and ask do they say hey are you actually an immigrant or are you you know are you from here because then i'll decide you know based on whatever you tell me then i'll decide if i'm going to shoot you in the back like nine times or something but i think amadou Amadou diallo the most famous case amadou diallo uh, you know an immigrant who was shot 37 times 47 something awful like that Mm -hmm. uh reaching for the cds that he was selling on the street um i mean one of the most uh lynch one of the linchpin uh examples just like george floyd in in that was in new york but um we have to move on, but I really want to, you know, we have to keep talking about this and understanding like, yes, that racial capitalism and colonialism uh, are legacies that we have not even ended. Right. And that's exactly what some of these newer um, initiatives are, are, are aiming at is that, oh, no, it's not in the past. It's now. So how do we also make sure that we're changing the structures that are currently in place now? But I, I want to move on to our final segment, Jackie. I don't mean to cut you off, but we gotta we gotta go because we got a limited time. And I really love this story. It's so fun. This is our final fun segment, and we're asking everybody in the comments and and my guests, 
Who or what is your milkshake duck? A milkshake duck is something that you thought was really cool and great and then immediately or over time or at some point realized was awful and problematic and oh my God, why did you like that? Spurred this week by the fact that this guy Jensen Carp tweeted out a photo of, of some shrimp tails in his cinnamon toast crunch and everyone was like, that's so funny. Who is this guy? Well, happens to be married to child actor Topanga. That's her first and last name. I don't care. Uh, she was... On Boy Meets World, Topanga. This is the husband of Topanga. Oh, my God. Isn't that crazy? How funny. What a hilarious guy. Look at the shrimp tails. What the hell? And then followed up by a woman named Melissa Stetton who said, what you may not know about the man behind the viral post is that he's a manipulative, gaslighting, narcissistic ex-boyfriend who once told me he was surprised I hadn't killed myself because my life was so worthless. That, is, my, my friends, is a milkshake duck. Harkening back to this tweet. The whole internet loves milkshake duck, a lovely duck that drinks milkshakes. Five seconds later, we were to inform you that the duck is racist. You guys, what has been something that has been your milkshake duck? Um, Jackie, do you have a milkshake duck? No, don't make me go first. I went first <laughs> for the last one. I'll go. I can go. As the I don't you think I understood first? what milkshake duck was. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, you do know. She, now Jackie said before the show said, uh, oh yeah, I had a milkshake duck once. <laughs> Never again. <laughs> I said, I like a duck shake. A, a, it was a, it was a duck flavored milkshake. I, I made that milk. joke, which some, seemed like a very simple, innocuous joke. And then milkshake duck was explained. And it's essentially, <laughs> what did I love? That was, it was like, if I, if, if we were to go back in time and you'd find out that I was a huge Woody Allen fan. <laughs> Yeah, and it turns out I was never a Woody Allen fan, but that didn't mean that I didn't like him. I just uh, love that Hannah and her sisters came out right when it came out that he married his stepdaughter, and I was like, "Oh, I don't have to watch this stuff anymore," which is occasionally funny. So, because uh, Woody Allen is occasionally very funny, and then other That's times uh, boring and exhausting, and I would not hang out with him as a person. No. It, so and then couple, you find out that he's a shit person and you're like, I win. So that is not a milkshake duck. That is me pretty, bragging that I never liked him. Oh, totally. <laughs> I've done that. I have done that before of like, it's anyway, we don't have to talk about it, but yeah, you're like, Oh, I never liked him in the first place. Um, Simone, do you have a milkshake duck? Was there, you know, these examples are like, okay, remember that Chewbacca mom, the lady who wore like the Chewbacca face mask and she was yeah. so sweet. And well, it turns out she's has a bunch of like problematic racist posts and it was like, Oh geez. Um, there's okay. lots of silly, you know, examples of this, but Simone, do you I want was best to go? friends with Rachel Dalziel? That was Dol that the problem? <laughs> or whatever her name was? No, that seems right. You don't even know her name. <laughs> I don't know her name. Yeah, I mean, I feel like uh, I don't really like much. Like, you know, I go through my life not really having high expectations. But <laughs> Solid. Solid way to live. But, so, like, I honestly can't even claim this as a milkshake duck, but I feel like it's the closest thing is Gina Carano. I don't know if that's even how you say your name, but... It I is. was so late to watch The Mandalorian, like very late. Like I waited until oh. season two was up and then I started watching, you know, from season one. And I just, you know, immediately I was like, is she an athlete? Like, this is incredible. Like, why don't yeah. we have more people who look like this? Because like when we have like 
uh, I don't know, female strong characters, usually they are twigs or something. And I was like, no, this person, like, she's buff. Like, she can you actually know. kick ass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so then immediate, like, I feel like it was so immediate <laughs> because I hadn't been watching the show, like, for, it wasn't like I was, like, with the show for years. I was with the show for, like, a month. And so right. I was like, oh, damn, I just thought this person was, like, totally cool. And then she went on to say some stuff about Nazis and, you know, compare it to, uh, never, to, to cancel yeah, culture we, or whatever. I don't, yeah, it's, it's just incredible. How that <laughs> dude, that story was, we talked about it on the show with Matt and he was, you know, he's sort of a star Wars nerd. And he was saying that all these kind of the same right wingers who are now defending her like crazy. were also saying, Oh man, Oh fuck Disney. I'm trying to be woke with this woman all. Of, and you know, well, why does she have to be all these women? These strong women, like really mad that she was a strong, big woman. And then now she's their savior because she wow. has problematic, like anti-Semitic tweets or like posts. And I just yeah. thought of J.K. Rowling, who uh, mm -hmm. who who lost her tiny lizard mind and decided to die on the hill of 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 trans women not being women. And you're like, what? It has nothing to do with. What do you? How do you? Why can't people just be? What do you care? What do you do? Here, leave Harry Potter alone. Stop changing it. I know, you don't have you don't have to say anything. You can always not say something. That's that's the beauty of speech. Yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm gonna like early Bill Cosby forever. Always gonna like early Bill Cosby. Uh, not I can't wait for him to die so I can like all of it again, and uh, and not think about what was happening after the show. So. <laughs> So you know? funny. I see I see someone wrote Jimmy Dore, which I think is fucking hilarious. Thank you for saying that. Um any number I, of people. Jeff Ross, Steve oh Ranazzi, the hero of 9-11. We could talk uh whatever. There's so mine is yeah, mine isn't as viral as what happened recently. Although I know there's people who I've like laughed at and like loved, like, you know, cash me outside girl on Dr. Phil. She must be problematic, but I fucking loved her. <laughs> you know? Uh, like is Honey Boo Boo? Did Honey Boo Boo stand the test of time? Like I don't know. Oh, I have Doctor. one. How about Abby Lee Miller? Uh, I was a huge Dance Moms fan, and then uh, because I'm from Pittsburgh, the show was set in Pittsburgh, of course. Uh, but coming, I mean, when you watch that back, you change the music, change the editing. It's like just child abuse, you know. <laughs> um, so that was interesting. <laughs> Uh, mine is very embarrassing and it's a very long story, but I will shorten it to say quickly, I had a long and intense crush on Kevin Spacey. Ooh, funny, funny, like two years ago, super hilarious. What a weird crush. How stupid. Oh my God. You like LA Confidential that much. Oh my God. Your whole room was full of posters of Kevin Spacey. That's so weird. Then two years later, then, <laughs> then some shit happened, and I was like, "Oh no, that's bad." I wonder what happened to Racer X or Steve Landisberg from Barney Miller Show, because those were my two big crushes oh, when I was a kid. It was Racer <laughs> X? It turns out he's super sexist. Can't. Or <laughs> Well, so what's funny is that when Kevin Spacey was like being accused, obviously of his like sexual misconduct and assault. The headline that Vanity Fair or one of these articles put out was Kevin Spacey comes out as gay. And I was like, oh, my God. And I posted. I was like, yes, like, yes, King, like, live your truth. Blah. And like the <laughs> and then my friends on, on Facebook were like, please read the article. <laughs> because the whole article was like, oh, no, he just used being gay as a like a shield 
and coming out as a shield to like cover up for his like disgustingness and his abuse. I was like, oh God, why? Anywho. I mean, I do like the Christmas Day drops from Kevin Spacey. So if anything came out of it, there's one positive, right? And so we can look forward to that next Christmas Day. Thank you, Kevin. (laughs) They're always scary. They're scarier than any role he's ever played. Who knew? Just be himself. Jackie Cation, Simone Baptiste, thank you both so much for being here. Where can people find your work, Simone? Um, at 16K on every platform, you can follow the film. Um, and I'm sure to update it, you know, once a month, maybe. I don't know. But uh, you can find <laughs> me <laughs> at, at Sim de Beauvoir. Um, there it is on the screen. There you go. Amazing. Thank you so much for being here. Be very, very well. And Jackie, everyone's got to watch the Jackie and Lori show now. Yeah, and the Dork Forest, where I I interview people about what they love. Uh, A a really good one that just happened a couple of weeks ago. If you go to dorkforest.com, was um, actually Greg Proops, uh, who, weirdly enough, hosts... uh, the Negro Baseball League award ceremony a year ago and uh, talked about, cause he's a giant baseball nerd. And so giant. he did an episode about baseball and this last episode was about the, the Negro leagues. So dorkforest.com, super fun. You can go to youtube.com slash the dork forest, or you could just go to dorkforest.com. Thank you so much for being here, Jackie. Such a pleasure. Please come back. And thank you all for sticking around. Oh my God. You've got comments. I've got, eyes on amazon and workers right steve matthews on youtube fran is wrong okay sometimes us truckers have to poop and we lay paper towel on the floor of our bunk and poo on the towel and throw the towel covertly out the window i'm so sorry i'm so is that covid safe i feel like no okay just i'm sorry steve that you have to do that that's fucked up Yes to an Amazon union. We, we y'all need that now. Unelectable airwaves on Twitch. Fran does a good Warren. Thank you. It's all about the high. There's a lot of breathing. Um, it's just so much breathing. And thank you so much for all the patrons. Guys, become a patron. Uh, five bucks, two bucks, ten bucks, whatever you can spare. Patreon.com slash bituation room. Thank you to Becca Roofer, Kelly Carey, to Ellie Hoffman, to Dorsey Shaw. And remember, fuck the patriarchy, fight the power, and don't just bitch about it, be about it. And also, be a little bit more like the most perfect distillation of I don't give a fuck, bro, Chet Hanks. Hey, guys. Um, Look, I just wanted to tap in really quick. I just got this feeling, man. Um, that this summer is, uh, it's about to be a white boy summer, you know, take it how you want. I'm not talking about like Trump, uh, you know, NASCAR type white. I'm talking about, you know, you know, me, um, John B, Jack Harlow type white boy summer. You know what I mean? Let me know if you guys, uh, can vibe with that and, uh, get ready, you know, cause I am. I don't know how to prepare for white boy summer. (laughs) Chet Hanks, my favorite Hanks. Oh my God. He's Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson's son. It's hilarious. Uh, Makes you just kind of like he's problematic. He's weird. He might be my milkshake duck. He might be another milkshake duck, but for now I stand Chet. Um, White boy summer. I hope that doesn't mean mass shootings. I hope it means jello shots. Thank y'all. Have a good night. 
बाय